Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. So this isn't relevant to this week's episode at all, but I was just thinking about about Diane Franklin. <laughs> yeah, as, as, as I've been known to do, because uh-huh. I adore her. It it's sort of relevant to a topic in the thing, and my brain's working parallel. Uh-huh. But I was just thinking about the Last American Virgin. Uh-huh. Man, that movie lulls you into false sense of security that it's just like, oh, it's a silly, stupid sex fun time. Uh-huh. And then it's like, oh, it's not. It just fucks you over with emotion. Yeah. yeah. What an all-time great swerve. Yeah, it's great. God. We did an episode on it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it, and you decided to hit record while I was mid-thought. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad that you shared that with the class. Thank there you. you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are not talking about The Last American Virgin. Uh, we already did that with our, our buddy Wes Allen, so you can definitely go back to the archives and listen to that. Um, but today, we are talking about another movie that stars somebody that I love quite dearly with very huge hair mm-hmm. um, in talking about girls just want to have fun. They just wanna. They just wanna. <laughs> Are you mocking the fact that I sound like a frog prince today? Girls just wanna be frogs. <laughs> <laughs> no, Listen, it's because it's I, because my voice is not in Cindy Lauper's register, and I'm not gonna tr- pretend that it is. What sucks is that I could do a pretty good Cindy, but not what? today. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, not not today. Yeah. Today we are we are crash test dummies or yellow, not not Coldplay yellow, fucking Ferris Bueller yellow. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. the moon is beautiful. <laughs> We're just gonna talk about every other eighties movie that isn't girls just want to have fun. Anyway, BJ, I'm on so much cough medicine. <laughs> I have never seen this movie. Talk to me about this movie and what your history is with it. <laughs> um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun is a movie that I saw for the first time um, when I got really into Sex in the City as a 16-year-old, as 16-year-olds are known to do. I know that like that that's that's your thing. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't come up often on the podcast, but Sex in the City is a very big deal for you. Yes, it is. And it's very important to note that obviously Sex in the City is a product of its era. It has not aged in the best ways, but in some ways it's aged remarkably well. But it was a very big deal and very formative for me as a teenager. And 
this was also when I was probably at like my peak insufferable theater kid and learning Sarah Jessica Parker is also a theater kid. Oh, is um, she ever? We'll talk about that did, with context. Did miles for me. Um, and so we rented Girls Just Want to Have Fun and I was immediately like, you know, I came for Sarah Jessica Parker, but I stayed for, for Helen, Helen Hunt. Hunt. Oh my God. I am so obsessed with her God, character. that's the way we should have pitched this episode is that Helen Hunt is like probably 20 years old here at most and she has the voice of a four year old woman i'm obsessed with that her. should have been like that's why bj sounds like this she's doing helen hunt's voice <laughs> i'm gonna start in twister yeah <laughs> you're gonna be in unfortunately one of my favorite rom-coms what women want i will never understand this about you and that's fine i'm not meant to i, I find it's your it, journey I find it's your it relationship be, with listen, the movie fuck mel gibson all the way forever yeah of but course. like it was an early dissection of gender mm-hmm. that I wasn't getting at like nine years old. <laughs> I found it interesting. It's got Marissa Tomei. You know, that's true. I love it. <laughs> we, I haven't revisited like in a little bit, but I like it. We can't go back in time and unmake movies important to us. That's yeah. not how they work. <laughs> so I like Helen Hunt. <laughs> Moral of the story, I like Helen Hunt. <laughs> yeah. I'm there for Marissa Tomei and Helen Hunt. Because that's what women want. I am the woman. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Girls Just Want to Have Fun is a movie that played ad nauseum on HBO as well. So when I watched this, there were a lot of like... It's it's part of that class of 80s films that didn't do great, but did extremely well on HBO. Yeah, it's under that same umbrella, which like, while not an 80s movie, but of like, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, where it was like, it's a random day we're playing this movie and you're just going to deal with it. I hear about in post, everyone always talking about like, yeah, I mean, Last American Virgin Mm -hmm. or Just One of the Guys, these these kinds of 80s movies that are not uh they're, they're not graduated out of teen cinema or mm-hmm. 80s cinema into just like pinched hand cinema like John mm-hmm. Hughes 80s movies are they're very much their own untainted category that thrived on HBO oh god yeah and we will obviously talk about the reception to this movie but i'm curious what context you're bringing to the table of how this movie came to be, what the landscape was like. So Sarah Jessica Parker started doing Broadway at the age of 11. Mm-hmm. Um, it explains a lot for her early career because she came to the dance because she could dance. If y'all have never seen the videos of her singing Tomorrow in Annie, oh, yeah. in what is arguably the worst Annie wig I've ever seen, and that includes you have like shown it. low budget regional theater productions, Good fucking God. She sings the shit out of she it. She has but that... naturally curly hair. I know. Why? What were they doing? They don't know what to do with their hair in this movie. They just brush it out and call it a day. Well, that was the 80s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no one knew what to do with curls. Excuse me, Diane Franklin. All right. Okay, fair. Okay. Everything <laughs> comes back to Diane Franklin. Um, so, yes, she had done a number of things. Most notably, she's Annie mm-hmm. in, a, in a Broadway production of Annie. Mm-hmm. This is a very early film role for her. Mm-hmm. Before, she had done Footloose. Yep, she's rusty. Mm-hmm. And looking at Footloose, looking at Flashdance, uh-huh. these movies that are movies, but they're music videos. <laughs> right. You know, because MTV was like this hot new thing. So it's like, what if we just get a lot of really great licensed music, cram it into a film, and just shoot a lot of vignettes with a kind of overarching plot? Mm-hmm. 
that's what Flashdance and Footloose kind of are if you actually sit down and watch them. Yeah, Which I have not seen Flashdance, but I feel like I've seen Flashdance. Yeah, no, that is, I think, way more in line with Flashdance. Footloose has a little bit more of a story, but... Yeah, it's got tractors. (laughs) It's got tractors. We're teaching Chris Penn how to dance. Yeah. We got stuff. Yes, but like, this is you also get this for like Purple Rain. You get that for a number of movies around this time. Yes. Where the music is a much bigger priority than the movie Mm -hmm. and I think that we're still working off like the loose template of like the 60s beach movie Mm -hmm. because teen stuff is still a little undefined it can be a lot of things but it hasn't been boiled down to like a established formula at this point like this is the year of breakfast club Mm -hmm. and yeah I don't don't know like this first half of the 80s is a really exciting time for teen films because they can truly be anything they can be last American version they can be this. They can be Legend of Billie Jean. Mm-hmm. It can be anything. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's really, really cool and probably a little bit of an over oversimplification of some of these films. But, like, looking at this as a dance movie and that dance movies like this are, have not really been a thing that's gone away. Mm-hmm. But it being a dance TV movie a la Hairspray a couple of years later, which is canonically set decades earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always been a thing for there to be dance TV. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense for it to be like this. Now, as far as Helen Hunt comes into comes into play, she's a little bit of a name. The opening credits give it an and Helen Hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not done a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. And she's certainly not a dancer, but she makes up for it with personality. Oh, God, yeah. She's got all the charisma in the world in this movie. Yeah. But no, she's known for television, actually. Mm-hmm. She'd done a lot of TV for close to a decade at least and um yeah she's a little bit of a big get but not like for films mm-hmm. just in like general teamdom mm-hmm. and because a few years earlier sarah jessica parker starred on square pegs a show i would love for us to do in the patreon but it is never streaming anywhere for free it's always something where you got to pay per episode i'm not doing that but uh that was also a big draw as to why she wanted to do this movie because one of the writers on square pegs was also working on this movie and she's said in interviews that this was a writer who really understood teenagers, didn't talk down to them, and wanted them to be fully realized people. And so that was a huge draw for her to sign up. So Mm -hmm. there's that Square Pegs connection as well. And I think that it really does work out because as much as this movie does have some obvious cheese on it, I think at its core there is something really nice going on here. Oh, no, I I agree. Um, this This feels a little bit like the 80s version of like Strictly Ballroom. A little bit, yeah. Which is also super dated and cheesy, but it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's Boz Lerman with no money. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> but even like kind of thinking about this in its place of like teen girl movies, there are not as many big examples of girl teen movies from the first half of the years. Because you got to think this was made in 1984. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way that you bamboozle people into seeing movies about teen girls is you hide a sex comedy inside this Molly Ringwald movie. Right. And that's kind of like there, there are outliers. You have like your little darlings, you have your angel, which is decidedly not really marketed towards teens, Yeah, but it's the best movie ever made. (laughs) Um, I think this movie is pushing teen girl cinema really forward in a really unique and fun way Mm -hmm. that we were not prioritizing women teen films yet. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. And before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy February prom party. Over on the Patreon this month, we have tons for you to look forward to. For the Sadie Hawkins dance, we are covering The Way Way Back, which has been something that's been recommended uh, quite a few times from people I know and listeners alike as a very good coming-of-age story, and I'm looking forward to that. As as well as something that's slightly outside of the age demographic, but I say that these guys have a lot of arrested development, so it's totally fair. We're doing train spotting as well. Higher up in the tiers, we are on our second month of Daria. Um, Unsurprisingly, I really enjoyed the first four episodes that we did last month. And I'm just really delighted by our time and having the reason to go through this. So hopefully you'll join us on that adventure. The documentary that we have decided to cover this month on this little excursion is called Kid 90. It is a documentary by... Soleil Moon Fry, who you may best know as Punky Brewster, and apparently she just carried a video camera with her everywhere in the 90s and recorded all of her friends and a lot of her life, and it's all about the struggles of being famous at a very young age and uses a lot of what I guess could be described as archival footage of child stars of the time, and I'm super excited to see what that looks like. In addition to all of our bonus episodes... You can find our monthly playlist, see what each week's episode is going to be ahead of time before everyone else can, get access to the suggestion box, as well as hundreds of past bonus episodes that we've done and and, and playlists and all sorts of other goodies. As is always the case, especially in these uh, trying times, if you're not able to support the podcast, we love you. We just appreciate that you listen and go on this adventure of healing our inner childs with us. If you haven't already, feel free to leave us a review, a nice five-star one if you're feeling so inclined. Recommend us to any of your friends and leave us some comments. There's been a whole lot of people who have done that for our Spotify as of recently. And uh, yeah, it's been really exciting and enlightening just to hear directly from people like that without the need for social media. (laughs) Thank you so much. And uh, back to the movie. So if by chance you have never seen Girls Just Want to Have Fun, here's your synopsis. And the way that it is written requires me to do a voice. So bear with me. (laughs) Janie is new in town and soon meets Lynn, who shares her passion for dancing in general and dance TV in particular. That's exactly how that should be read. That's exactly, like, when that's all you give me, that's the voice that has to happen. Whoa, check out girls just want to have fun. I mean, it it feels like one of those bad previews you're going to get on, like, a 2001 DVD where it's like, she's just a mild-mannered dude-to-do, but then she moved to town and met Adam Sandler. You just turned into the, like, Rob Schneider's The Stapler. I mean, the thing is, like, that is the exact right voice for that. <laughs> like, that South Park joke is exactly how that shit always ends up sounding. <laughs> no, you're totally right, though. Like, if you can't get one of the two guys who are really good at doing those jobs, then you get the fucking really hokey, like, third guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
So something also interesting to point out is that Girls Just Want to Have Fun was written by Amy Spies. Um, Teen movies in the 80s, I mean, movies just kind of in general until very recently were almost exclusively directed by men. Mm -hmm. There's always like a handful of outliers, but there were still opportunities for women to be screenwriters, which is really impressive. Fortunately, this is a genre that does allow them to do that. Yes. One of my favorite things about this show. And so Girls Just Want to Have Fun is like her big intro like this is her big thing um but in the future she will go on to be one of the story editors and writers on beverly hills 90210 um she's gonna do writing on melrose place as well as script and continuity stuff so she's gonna continue working in the teen sphere after this in the next decade really iconic shows yeah which i I really like that i think that that's kind of cool but uh to kick things off let's start talking about our main characters and we're gonna start with sarah jessica parker as janie how do you feel about janie honestly i kind of like the simplicity of her character introduction where it's just the first day of school i do too because like usually you'll get those but like there's a little bit of setup like i think like casper Mm -hmm. you know that's maybe 30 minutes into casper maybe Mm -hmm. not that long probably like 20 minutes but this one it's like yeah we just opened the scene like well you're going to a catholic school uh, who are you? And she's like, uh, I don't know. I, I like to, to dance, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. And that this informs you exactly who she is, where it's like, she's a little awkward. She's a little, maybe not the most confident. We find out that she moves around a lot and doesn't have a lot of friends because she's an army brat and has a really strict dad. She says something like, I've been through 11 schools in seven years or something, where it's like, God damn. Like, how do you adjust like that? Dad, are you... Are you getting transferred because they don't like you very much? Yeah, what's going on? Why are you getting transferred so <laughs> Usually much? Usually <laughs> I think they keep you there for like a year. <laughs> but all right. Um, yeah, no, I just think that this is a really good way of just just fast-tracking this character. Because like this movie doesn't waste any time. No, this is a very quick movie. And every scene you know, is just building towards something. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a 90-minute movie. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it, go. Shit or get off the pot Go, here. go, 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 go. Um <laughs> But I don't know. I mean, this is just a movie about her coming out of her shell and coming out from under the the, the thumb of her really strict dad. Mm-hmm. Her military dad. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, you know, the military is all about structure and breaking people down and following rules. And obviously, teens rebel against that shit. And as far as, like, rebelling is concerned, she she picked a pretty chill thing. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not doing drugs. She just wants to dance. She just wants to dance. She just wants to be a star. <laughs> so yeah how do you how do you feel about her i love this character because i think you have the inherent drive of somebody who grew up in a military household that's very much present in her like she's very dedicated she's been taking dance and gymnastics for 10 years it's something that she cares about she wants to be someone who practices and like maintains kind of this routine but at the same time she is feeling very stifled by a lot of that structure mm-hmm. and so dance is like one of her big ways of having expression of feeling freedom she also wants the attention like she wants to be on dance tv because she's clearly feeling like you know a little invisible underneath the thumb of her parents or the fact that she moves around all the time so nobody ever gets to actually 
see her because she's not around long mm-hmm. enough for people to get to know her. So being on TV means that everybody gets to know you because you're on TV. Yeah. Um, and so I really I mean, if like not by that. name, then you'd be able to pick someone out. Yeah, you're totally. Just like, like I, I've heard people talk about like Soul Train and you're just like, yeah, I have favorite dancers because I was always curious to see what they were going to be wearing and what their moves they were going to bust out during like the Soul Train line or something like that is. Yeah, that's very real. Or like, like even we see that in Hairspray where it's like, oh no, that's my favorite backup dancer in this thing. Yeah, and like dance shows, I mean, still to some extent kind of exist, just not in this form. Like now we have like Dancing with the Stars and like, you know, So You Think You Can Dance, like more like competition shows than mm-hmm. anything. America's Best Dance Crew. What a time that was. God, I love that show so I love much. all the gimmicky ones. I like the cloggers. I like the roller skaters. Yeah. I love all the people with like stuff where it's like, yeah, you're going to make it about halfway, but there's a, there's a ceiling to what you can do with your gimmick. Mm-hmm. No, I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we don't really have that anymore, but we do still kind of have that with like sketch comedy shows where people have like their favorite players, and that has always existed as mm-hmm. well. But that is something that still exists. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, I like that. Um, I also like that Janie's first friend that she makes is also somebody who seeks her out. Lynn seeks her out from the beginning because she sees something in her once she does her little introduction at school of like, hi, I'm Janie and I'm new here. Lynn is like, that's it. Like we see her size her up and go, that's the person. That's my Mm -hmm. friend. I'm taking her under my wing. And she's the one who kind of makes all the first moves in this friendship of seeing her on the bus and be like, Hey, sit here. Hey, block me so I can change my clothes. Like I can undo the Velcro on my school skirt. And it's like, like a wet look kind of leather skirt on the other side, Mm -hmm. just on the bus, which like, not to be a stickler here, but it's like, yes, block me so that no one on the bus can see. But your ass is still facing that window. <laughs> the whole world can see your ass. But yeah, Velcro next to the Walkman and Tab. It's the greatest invention of the 20th century. <laughs> I would be inclined to agree with one of those, but I think teen girls and moms do love Tab. <laughs> Didn't they bring Tab back in the 2000s? I think so. I don't think it did. Well. I don't know. I don't know if it like they brought it back or like it never went away and they just decided to like dust it off and push it harder for a little bit. But like. I don't know anybody who ever drank Tab during that time. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I think other than like for the nostalgia of it. Well, yeah, all. I mean, it, it was like what, a, like one of the first big diet colas. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We have diet options now. Mm-hmm. There's so many of them. Everyone stole Tab's ideas. <laughs> Tab was an innovator. Uh, but from the very beginning, you know. Lynn is all about pushing Janie's boundaries because, you know, the first day of school, it's like, hey, come over. I'm babysitting this kid. Let's watch dance TV because we're just going to let the baby sit, sit on, on pizza. pizza. <laughs> that diaper on pizza. Gross. Yep. Clearly, you're not eating that pizza now. No, that that pizza belongs to that baby. Yeah. But, you know, you know that that's the sign of a good friend. It's like, oh, you want to watch dance TV, but you're afraid you're going to be late? You're coming with me then. Yep. Um, and then, you know, destroying the house and neglecting an infant and getting yelled destroy at. Destroy the house? <laughs> they maybe, like, messed up the living room. Okay. It's fine. That's true. They messed up the living room, but that mom was not happy. No, no. Clearly, that gig <laughs> is done. Yeah. It ran its course after that day. But, like, that's very much, like... Lynn's vibe mm-hmm. is it just like she just, it's not long term planning mm-hmm. per se I think she just happens into situations and just kind of rolls with it yeah and so you know they're watching their dance TV and they find out that there's going to be this big audition and if you win you get to be on the show mm-hmm. which is it's the plot of Hairspray um, it's the plot of Hairspray without the uh, the desire to integrate races on television as well yeah um, so the stakes are a little less high in this movie <laughs> i would be inclined to believe that 
yes, it's the plot of Hairspray, but also they surely did this for every like regional oh, God, dance yeah. program. Like oh, God, fucking yeah. Greece, we see a dance contest that they're filming. Like mm-hmm. this is surely a thing that was very, very common. Yeah. And I think it was going to be phased out by the end of the 80s. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so that's when this movie kicks off into what the movie actually is. Because up until that point, you're like, oh, this is a cute coming of age movie. It's a, it's a high school movie yeah. about this girl joining a new school. And then it's like, psych, it's a dance movie, motherfucker. Dude, Get I didn't ready. know this was a dance movie. I didn't know shit about this movie. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's a dance movie. How delightful. Uh-huh. Watching you realize that was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we do have some other characters that we meet before the dance contest. Uh, one of the first ones being Natalie, mm-hmm. um, who is our Veruca Salt character. She just straight up is big hair, hot 80s Veruca Salt of like, Daddy, I'm going to win this contest. Daddy, do this. Daddy, I mean, do that. She's real hot, though. She's so hot. It's like at painful. One point, at one point when she's just trying to be like seductive, she parks her car and like frames up this shot where she's like laying on a motorcycle lit by car headlights. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> She knows what she's doing here. Oh, I know. And we're like, we're watching this. And I'm like, I wonder what she did. And you're like, oh, she's still doing soap operas. Like, she's a big star in the soap world. And good news, she's gorgeous still. She's so hot. <laughs> Obviously, that doesn't matter. That's not a reflection of somebody's character. However, comma, good for her. We love to see it. We love to see women remain hot. I love seeing girls continuing to be hot and having fun. That's all I want. I just want these girls... To have fun. Yeah. Long, long after they are considered girls. Women having fun, I'm all about it. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, she's 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 a hoot of a villain. I love her as a villain um, because she is just a pure villain. This movie is not trying to have, like, any sort of nuance, any sort of, like, oh, she's complicated because of X, Y, or Z. That's like, nah, she's a bitch because she has money and fuck her. Mm-hmm. And that's really funny With her to me. very old dad. <laughs> her extremely old dad. <laughs> this is like those things where you hear about just being like, oh, yeah, I don't know, like, Sylvester Stallone is having another kid. And it's like, what? (laughs) Like, these very old celebrities who are popping kids out in, like, their set. like Al Pacino. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro both having kids, like, this year. And it's like, brother, what are you doing? What? This is is one of those guys. Not quite that old, because this man's, like, clearly old enough to be that white. Or maybe he's just, like, Steve Martin. Mm. But, like, he's clearly old. He clearly, like, sired this child in his, like, early 50s. Yeah, like at earliest and Uh i love that to to make sure that we know that this is a rich family he's like constantly in smoking jackets oh yeah i love his uh his very posh i don't know it kind of looks like a bar basement where it's like oh my pinball machines and my slot machines and my billiards table Mm, (laughs) he doesn't have that accent because okay hold up he doesn't have that accent. Well, why the fuck does nobody in this Chicago movie have any accent? No one has <laughs> no a Chicago one has accent. A damn accent. And in this obviously, movie. Sarah Jessica Parker is allowed to not have one because she's new in town. But Helen Hunt at one point says like "mom," and I'm like, "Uh-uh, that's mom. Yeah, there's an "ah" in there. Like Where someone is should it? have." A, a whiff of an accent, a, a Lacroix flavoring of an accent, and they've got nothing. <laughs> LaCroix flavoring of an accent. They should have some, like there should be a hint. A you know? hint a hint water of an accent. Something, but there's <laughs> nothing. It's those water bottles that are like flavored by scent. Yeah. Which like you could say that about a lot of these Chicago teen movies, but at least Ferris Bueller has an accent. Yes, he does. That motherfucker talks out the side of his Fucking mouth. Blues Brothers has an accent. Mm-hmm. Like it's a bad accent. 
but it's an accent. Also, Ferris Bueller marries Sarah Jessica Parker. Look at that. You know, I did not even think uh-huh, about that. Matthew Broderick. I was just thinking about Diamond. <laughs> Diamond. You know? yeah. But it's like, yeah, no, they in real life get married. That's cute. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> how but, about that? But uh, yeah, no, like that shit's fucking crazy once you, because like, I get why we said it in Chicago. It's the, the Midwest surrogate for we want to make a coastal movie, but we want it to be more relatable. And right. if you remove the accents, then it is more relatable to anyone, but it's super inauthentic to the region. Mm-hmm. So I said, sister, please, anybody could have confused Hail Mary with Proud Mary. And besides, I do a very good Tina Turner. What did you do? Made me wash all of her blackboards, but that's okay because I broke every piece of her chalk into tiny little pieces. (laughs) You know, you can't wear that to the audition. I know. Are you backing out? Look, my father won't let me go, and my mother says that we have to let him win a few battles so that he can win the war, whatever that means. Well, that means you're going anyway. Lynn, I can't. They won't let me go. Do you do everything you're told? Oh, God, you do. And so not only do we have Natalie, but of course we have to have some bullies here. And our main boy is Jeff, played by Lee Montgomery. Mm -hmm. And Lee Montgomery had like one of those careers where he had a window where he was in a bunch of shit for like seven years. And then he was like, I'm done with this. And then stopped acting. And this is why I was thinking about Diane Franklin. Oh, yeah? Where I was just thinking, like, I wonder why he just decided to be done. For Diane Franklin, like, she was in a lot of things. She was in Bill and Ted, Better Off Dead, Last American Virgin, uh, Terror Vision. Mm -hmm. She was in, uh, like, a bunch of things in a really small window and then just went, I'm going to go be a mom. Mm -hmm. And just, like, stopped acting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what's Lee Montgomery's story? Why were you in so many things in the 80s? Like, pretty successful things. Mm -hmm. Or, like, all things considered. Like, this movie didn't do well initially, but it, you know, built a cult following. What, what, I wonder what your story is, because like you're not retired to be a mom. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I don't know. I didn't read into it, but it, that's why I was. That's thinking. why you're thinking. About that's Diane why I was Franklin. thinking about Diane Franklin, as I've <laughs> been known to do. <laughs> so how do you feel about about Jeff? I mean, I think he's fine. Um, I I, th- I think he's hunky. He's very much a uh, a Swayze type. Oh God, yeah. Like he's got a, like from the back, mm-hmm. you could look at him and go. I mean, he's not, he doesn't quite have, like, as lean of a body as Swayze. He's very close. Swayze is so, like, has the, Swayze has, like, the ideal dancer's body. Yeah. This guy is, like, 5% off from the ideal dancer's body. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's really funny that they just slide the fucking Dirty Dancing lift into this movie, and it's not even a big deal, huh? There are multiple Dirty Dancing-style lifts in here that are just there for show. Yeah. Like, it's not a plot point. It's not a, like, oh, my God, they finally did it. It's like, this is just part of our choreo because we are talented. This is just, the, like, to, in Dirty Dancing's defense, like, that movie is obviously set decades before this. Like, it's a period piece. So that lift is mm-hmm. really elevated at the time. Yeah. Nowadays, People are just busting out Canadian destroyers as a transitional moves at every indie show in America. <laughs> there's a sick professional wrestling reference for y'all. I was like, there's our, there's our, <laughs> our, our. I remember when the Canadian destroyer was a finisher, and now everyone uses it. <laughs> super kicks. Oh, everyone super kicks too much. Five percent of our audience just got really hyped about these, about these references. Um, a fun fact about me: I think that like my most my very undiagnosed ADHD has been erratic lately. Uh-huh. So like my brain is just firing in like a Sputnik pattern at all <laughs> times. I enjoy it. I like when you get like this. Thank you. It's just 
focus has really, really been an issue lately. I think that's why I'm pulling in so many other references into this episode right now, and I'm very aware of it. That's but fine. trying to stay on topic, um, his dad, Jeff's dad, is the most man should have an accent in this movie, man. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I guess, like, he, he's, he's very nice. Like, clearly he wants to be courted by the popular girl, and he's not having it because he wants... He wants love, not, you know, power or to be, you know, stand there and look pretty kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And through sheer happenstance, day of the co- of the competition, he gets paired with Jamie and decides to stick with Janie. Yeah. So something that I like about the Jeff character is that he is sort of a grandfather to Troy Bolton character in that the boy just wants to dance. Mm-hmm. He just wants to be a dancer. But he's worried about more masculine endeavors, but swap out basketball playing for going to trade school and working for his dad and like he spends most of this movie very worried about like his dad's job and whether or not he's going to be able to do this and like dancing just frivolous I, I i'm stupid for liking this kind of thing you know internalizing a lot of stuff and then surprise, he's making a lot of assumptions about masculinity and what his dad expects out exactly of him. Yes. and then surprise surprise his dad ends up being the like proto Bert Hummel from Glee character where it's like he's the most Midwestern dad possible who's just like hey I just want I just want my boy to be happy mm-hmm. if dancing is what makes you happy if you can win that contest then just go win it and it's I love this so much because it is such a great example of how often as teenagers we are so convinced in our minds that we know what to expect from our parents and don't get me wrong sometimes we're 100% sometimes, right sometimes you can we're take on a, the money. a pretty good bet yeah sometimes we're on the money but sometimes they do surprise us and it's always magical when that happens and that happens in this movie which I really like so it's it, it's also kind of cute to watch his, you know, giant inner turmoil, this whole movie ultimately just be like, buddy, you were worried for no reason, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, kind of nice. It's very adorable, especially because dad's really only in like two scenes. Mm-hmm. We get an establishment of him early on when Jeff's hanging out in the kitchen with his sister, Shannon Doherty. Um, Okay. I love Shannon Doherty in this movie so much because this is like pre-Heathers, pre-everything. It's pre Hollywood deciding like oh you play bitch characters mm-hmm. like she's just this cute little sister she's so cute well, and she's like, just like wow you like you think I'm a punk I mean it's not as cool as new wave but gee like she's so <laughs> cute and funny in this movie such a good little sister character and yeah it's very charming to see her play something other than you know what she was typecasted as for the majority of the rest of her career yeah so like he has a he has a conversation with dad just to, so we find out like, okay, trade school, dad works in a factory. He's like a blue collar kind of guy. This is mm-hmm. sort of what their home looks like. And then we don't see dad again until we get to like this big twist reveal mm-hmm. sort of, we, we, we need some third act conflict. Yeah. Um, we also have Drew here who is Jeff's like hype man for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. He's his friend. He's constantly trying to like do get rich quick things by selling shirts and whatever for dance TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but really he's there just to, he's there to promote his boy. Like that's, that's his, his role in the group. Yep. Which I don't know. I like those characters. <laughs> no, I like Drew. I think he's a very good, uh, he's, he's, he's a good friend type. I will say that like, He's the only one in this movie who has an accent because he's very Jewish. Mm-hmm. And it is, I'm not going to say it's a full malicious choice, but it is an interesting choice that he's got these little side hustles. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that that's a thing that just happens. You know, just all of those like, 
implicit insidiousness stereotypes we just yes. lobbied on to characters. I, I don't know if it's fully like they wrote it to be fully malicious or if it was just like, oh, it's a fun character thing he does. Right. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to make any wide-sweeping claims, but it is just a thing in this movie. It's just a thing to acknowledge. Yeah. It's a thing we've noticed. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm like, I I enjoy him. I think he's I think he's a good friend type. I, I think he's a really good friend character and I like how much he loves his friends. That's really what this movie is. Aside from like a dance movie, aside from a romance, our side characters, they are so ride or die for their friends. That's I love that. Yeah, that is something that I am so into because like Lynn loves dance TV, but she's not a dancer and she fully admits that. Oh no, she she gets screwed. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't have probably made it in the competition anyway, no. but she got the, the guy she was dancing with got paid off. Mm-hmm. And initially I was like, oh, it's a joke. Like, oh, look, he sabotaged her. He was overzealous, but like he totally like tanked it for them. And then later he's getting money. I'm like, oh, no, I was right. <laughs> I thought he was just being a dick. <laughs> yeah, the the big dance audition scene. So also, okay, the logic behind how this competition works is so fucking weird and backwards, which is that you're going to do this like massive call and pick finalists. But then when you actually get to the show, there are finalists from like other parts of the country and the numbers don't match up as to like who was accepted at the live audition versus who was accepted at the uh, uh, you know for the big show it, the logic doesn't make any don't sense don't think about it exactly That's don't not think important. about it she does who flips. cares so yeah we'll get to that um but something else that i also love is that the host or like this producer of the dance show is so fucking gay like so unquestionably gay oh, honey, this movie is just gay in general he, this movie is real gay like um, it's a dance movie <laughs> in the 80s and just every dude in the background is gay yeah and they just like they just let it happen and they embrace it and i love that so much but i love having this character who is like the he's host so, is kind of flirty he, he's so he's so fruity yeah. like and i love him so much but like occasionally he'll say something that's like a little out of pocket and you're like whoa okay guy that's because that's because he's a little flirty with these young guys yeah where i'm like okay that's that's certainly a thing um i actually thinking about this like in the context it comes out in like 85 and being made in 84 this really feels like one of those last like man the 80s is really fucking gay like Assuming that the AIDS crisis doesn't happen, the Mm -hmm. 80s was absolutely fast-tracked to be the gayest decade of all time. Mm -hmm. And halfway through, we went, oh, no, there's a whole – the public has a whole lot of big opinions right now that are wrong. And this feels like one of those last, like, over-the-top fruity gay films in terms of its, like, side characters or extras or even just, like, its styling. Mm Mm-hmm. Where, like, we were going to ease off the gas on this real hard in, like, the next year. Yeah. No, and that's something that I I try not to, like, get in my head too much about when I watch movies like this. Is yeah, it's knowing... supposed to be, like, a silly fun time escapism. Exactly. But, but also, like... the reality is that, like, a good chunk of that cast probably didn't survive. Um, yeah. Which is heartbreaking to think about. Um, because... God, fucking I know. This Reagan. is not what anybody wanted out of a girl just want to have fun. Episode. It's not, but, but like, it's just like, fuck but off, like that is Ronald a reality Reagan. of this, though. Yeah, and like you can't, and you can't ignore. It's something that. I can't not think about, especially because I apologize about how erratic my brain is today. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's so fascinating to see this like kind of untampered by politics display of of of, of queerness mm-hmm. and joy. Like everyone's so excited to be dancing. Mm-hmm. And it's not being fucked up by the world mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be 
one of the last times you're going to see that. Mm-hmm. You know? For a very, very long like, time. Like, what you're going to get after this is no acknowledgement and occasionally something like parting glances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. It's, like, it's got a sad reality, but it's really joyous to see on screen. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I don't know if you knew this or if you caught this, but at one point during this dance audition scene, there is a blink and you'll miss her uh, cameo from a, at the time, unknown Gina Gershon. I did not know that, but I do love that. <laughs> yeah, she's hanging out in here. But on that note, something too that this movie deserves praise for is how bold a lot of the extras are in this movie because they are constantly like interacting with the punks and all these different counterculture groups. Oh my God, those punks. And everyone has these very vibrant, stylish, fashionable clothing choices and they look cool. They look so cool. I... So a lot of 80s movies, unless you are like genuinely at like an indie level, you get like fucking punk vacation or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like they understand what punk rock looks like in a way that like Return of the Living Dead doesn't really understand what punk rock looks like. You think this is a costume? It's a fucking way of life. I mean, that's that's the funny joke, though, is like it totally is a <laughs> because costume. Because it is a costume. <laughs> All punk rock fashion like that is a fucking costume. It's a dress code. <laughs> um, but I think that they genuinely just scooped people off the street who looked cool and were like, fuck it, be in this movie. Which is so at odds with that actual scene where they let them loose and let that like banquet hall because it's playing like this real jockey butt rock heavy metal music about how they're like rebellious. Mm-hmm. And that is totally not what it is mm-hmm. with these guys who are wearing like social distortion back patches on their like denim jackets. And that, that that's a bit of a deep cut at the time. Like Social D would blow up in the 90s, but like this is way earlier than that. Like that's credible. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're totally right. And I love knowing, too, that this was an intentional decision because, for example, uh, the brilliant, wonderful Helen Hunt has these very weird style choices, like her dinosaur hair clips. She has that hat. She has this giant hat with a grasshopper on it, like a Mm -hmm. huge rubber grasshopper. And Helen Hunt did an interview where she was talking about how she had a little bit of say in her costuming. And what she did is she bought all of the European fashion magazines she could find and dressed however they were not. That's mm-hmm. what she wanted for her character. And I think she nailed it because she has so much personality just based on this very quirky fashion that's actually quirky, not mm-hmm. like, you know, I got this from a mall quirky because she's making a lot of her clothing. Oh, yeah. No, I appreciate that very much, especially because, like, there's not a lot of pictures from this era, but this is how I dressed at, like, 17 to, like, 20, mm-hmm. where I would go to, like, thrift stores and find stuff, and then i walk across, like, the highway to go to like a craft store and be like, what can I glue together? Mm-hmm. What can I make really loud? Yeah, I'm just going to casually wear velvet bow ties that I found at the thrift store. Why not? <laughs> it doesn't go with anything I'm wearing. It, well, I mean a little bit. It was the era of vests over t-shirts. Yeah. It looked a little bit like a costume. <laughs> but you know what? We all go through those phases. where of we're course. Our, we were kind of all just wearing costumes every day. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when, like, when you're trans. It's just like such like an early part of figuring out how clothes work. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's like we're seeing it right now with a lot of people that came out in like 2020. 20 it's like everyone's dressing like they're in an anime let's see how this long how long this lasts <laughs> i mean th- that mixed with like the um rise of korean street fashion yeah. and the fact that it's extremely cheap to buy on various like fast fashion sites mm-hmm. is the reason that i think that that is a very very prominent style choice um and Oh, God, it just defeats the whole point of street fashion, and it 
feels like the most American thing to do, uh-huh. but that's neither <laughs> here nor there. I think that this really is like the proper new wave 80s mm-hmm. culture as we know it at the time where this is that first half. Like MTV hasn't totally taken over. We're not looking at like Duran Duran, really sleek produced 80s yet. Mm-hmm. Like when you think of like, oh, like comically 80s, you think of fucking Flock of Seagulls haircut. Right. But like. First of all, that first Flock of Seagulls album's awesome. It's not even a synth album. It's a guitar-driven album about aliens. <laughs> and that dude was like a hairdresser, and that was just a thing he did himself. It was not chosen by some record execs going like, you need to have the craziest hairstyle to stick out, dude. Uh-huh. I think that that is so cool. Like, I mentioned it a little earlier during context, but like, this is such an untampered look at the 80s because it's kind of got like, left behind for the most part. Mm-hmm. It was not pulled through as being like, look, we're doing a, a Ferris Bueller spinoff series for streaming this year mm-hmm. where we've decided to just carry this with us to the point where we overlook just how dated and cheesy and eighties it is. Mm-hmm. This is one of those ones that like, maybe you watched it growing up, then you forgot about it. Then you come back to it and you go, damn, that's really eighties. <laughs> Because you're you're just not used to it. It's not it it still tastes of its purest essence yeah. and not just like, you know, something that you've just been sampling your entire life because it's never gone away. Yeah. No, you're a hundred percent right. It and it also because it hasn't been absorbed by cultural osmosis the way you know something like a ferris bueller has it also has a like this specific look has avoided what i would call like the spirit halloweenification of the 80s which is like when you go to that store and it's like what does the 80s section look like well it looks like the olivia newton john physical video it looks like that or it looks like someone dressing up like someone from the 80s madonna Mm -hmm. michael jackson right and like that's like 84, 85. Like this is right when that superstar of yeah. 80s is about to hit. Uh-huh. And kind of like the, the the really scrappy DIY new wave dorks who were not maybe the best looking people could be successful on MTV and be stars as a result. Yeah. Because it was like all the art school weirdos and all of like the subculture dorks that mm-hmm. were getting big, like fucking Devo. Mm-hmm. No one in Devo is handsome. They just look like some dude from Akron, Ohio. It's because that's what they are. Exactly. <laughs> and people just go, oh, the fucking flower pot hats. <laughs> and like that was an iconic, interesting enough thing. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't a matter of like perfectly curated branding yet. Like there's something so unfiltered about this movie that I like. Mm-hmm. Like none of the pulp has been strained out. Mm-hmm. Yes. You don't remember me, do you? <laughs> I haven't forgotten you or that smile. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm not good with names. I must have forgotten who you... What? Right. That's just a name. I'd given you up for dead. It's a nice uniform. <laughs> it's all right. There are plenty of guys who go nuts for girls in uniform. Name two. Your father and Captain Kirk. No, I'm gonna die. Hi, I'm Lynn Stone. My lucky number's 21. <laughs> uh-huh. Next. I have a real way with authority figures. And because this is a dance movie, there is this subtle streak of horniness kind of running throughout this movie, uh-huh. but in a way that doesn't feel overtly sexual, despite it being pretty overtly sexual. I mean, it's got like physicality to it, 
but there's not like boners. Right. So there is an article from Slant Magazine called Sinful Cinema, Girls Just Want to Have Fun that was written in 2013 talking about this movie. And this is written from somebody who grew up watching this a lot on HBO. Mm. This is one of their sick day movies. Mm -hmm. And I really liked this section and I wanted to read it. So in talking about this audition scene, it's like Janie gets a firsthand lesson in sensual moves, some of them thrusting their partners with vigor and others convulsing on the floor like Billy Idol with epilepsy. The movie actually has quite a few transgressive sexual references, which, depending on how you look at them, were either risque for their time or fell into a trend less filtered than what's seen in the mainstream today. Wealthy super snob Natalie, the story's villainess who also wants a coveted dance TV spot, walks around sucking on popsicles and taunting Jeff with offers to practice moves, while virginal Janie, when first hopping on Jeff's motorcycle and asking if it's safe, is met with the blunt response, it's the safest thing you'll ever have between your legs. Mm -hmm. Moreover, Girls Just Want to Have Fun is surprisingly inclusive in its overall depiction of sexuality and sexual politics. Ira, the, imp the impresario leading the mad audition, is very clearly gay, and however Rosa rosily optimistic the scenario may seem, Jeff's father, a benevolent man's man, recalling Kurt Hummel's dad, that's fucking right, on Glee, is refreshingly supportive of his son's ambitions to be a professional dancer, never once encouraging him to chase more masculine pursuits. And best of all, the film's cast of cameo players, who from clothing to hairstyles basically look like they're wearing the 1980s, are generously populated with girly men and manly women who toy with their gender as much as they do their Velcro and their Walkman. Never is this more apparent than in the movie's standout sequence, which she, which sees Janie, Lynn, and Maggie orchestrate an epic crashing of Natalie's snooty debutante ball, hustling through that the most important of 80s hotspots, the mall. The trio make photocopies of Natalie's invitation, distributing them to every freak and geek in town, and then watching them descend on the stuffy affair like a living hailstorm of debauchery. Janie and Jeff's eventual climactic victory is one for the dance-off archives, but this centerpiece scene takes, or rather obliterates, the cake. That scene is... That, that's the one that you see in a lot of 80s movies where it's like, look, it's just a bunch of chaos and debauchery. But usually that scene's like the climax. Yeah, and this you is guys, like in some the like middle. Animal house kind of thing. Or like if you want to call back to to beach movies, like I was referring, like like how I think this thing is structured. Um, Muscle Beach Party has like an eight minute fight scene at the end and they just keep reusing shots over and over. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and it's awesome. I love Muscle Beach Party. It's my favorite beach movie. But yeah, this is not how the movie usually hits a midpoint. Right. And also something we paved over, and it would be a crying shame if we did. They mentioned buff women. They oh, have some these buff, buff women. Oh, I love them. Oh, my God. Like, I referenced pro wrestling earlier. We love pro wrestling so much in this household. We are accustomed to buff women being around. Like, you're Rhea Ripley's. You're Bianca Belair's. You're Jade Cargill. Just buff women. You're Jordan Grace's. Oh, bless Jordan Grace. Just a fucking powerhouse. Just built like a brick shit house. Ugh. I love buff women and I just like seeing them do things and everyone's going to lose their goddamn mind when Love Lies Bleeding come out because they have not built up a tolerance to this. They they haven't refined their palate. It's just going to be like, oh my God, what is this new flavor? I can't handle it. <laughs> Like when you uh, like when you see people from other countries sample American food and they're like, <laughs> what's so funny is I just watched a video of a guy from the UK try Panda Express for the first time and had orange chicken and was like, 
oh my god and everyone's like okay well now you need to try like actual tiny food that'll also blow your mind it's it's a lot of sugar (laughs) and a lot of sodium that people aren't used to but like that's what everyone is going to get with love lies bleeding when it comes to like how they process buff women Mm -hmm. um i like seeing in this movie i think they're a little underutilized personally all of the men punk get way more to do with i think it's because they're like I don't know. Maybe they're just a little more rambunctious, mm-hmm. like fundamentally. Well, they're also more colorful, is the thing. Maybe. So, like, that's more fun to shoot. Whereas a lot of the buff women are wearing like gray and black, and well, it's like they like went to a gym or whatever. Yeah, because they have so to they're look wearing cool. like gym attire. They could have dressed them like like Luna Vachon. You see, Luna, but then Luna's that, the most eighties looking person ever. Luna but then that Luna. becomes pro wrestling and not just like. <sighs> women heffing it at the, at the gym. Just, maybe they should have just been more pro wrestling. I don't you know. know. Everything needs more pro wrestling. Exactly. But like, I love seeing the buff women in this because I, I like to see women do rad things um, just all the time. It's my, it's the thing I get most excited about on the show consistently. Mm-hmm. This is not thing that, now this is not something that comes up on the show hardly ever. Mm-hmm. So I'm especially stoked to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you marked up pretty hard when, like, they, like, have that shot and the camera hits them from, like, a low angle. Like, so, they, so, so they look bigger and, like, more powerful. And it's just like, hell yeah, they're going to fuck shit up. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, God, I just don't have the, the, the energy. I'm too tired and noncommittal. But, like, God, I would be this buff. I feel like that all the time. Like, I left Love Lies Bleeding and I was like, what if... I just became a human muscle. Like, what yeah. if I did that? And it was like, that's so much work. God, I'm you'd be built that. like those women who are like the the stocky powerlifters who throw logs. <laughs> oh God, my dream. <laughs> It'd be so cool. <laughs> Never gonna happen. Neither one of us is gonna get buff like that. No, that's not happening. No, no that no, that no. that that dream died with the when the pandemic started and yeah. I stopped going to the gym consistently. Yeah, <laughs> I accept this about myself. But um, I don't know. I just I like seeing that, and uh, this is definitely like the showiest most 80s cliche kind of scene you're going to see in this movie. I don't know. I, I like it. It's very refreshing considering most of the showier parts of it is dance. Yes. Which is very orchestrated. It's rehearsed. It's planned. It's beautiful. This is chaos. And so let's talk about the dancing. The dancing in this movie is really impressive. Like there's genuinely impressive dancing going on here. It does fall into one of my least favorite tropes though. Which is to be the best dancer, you just have to be able to do acrobatics. The biggest, flashiest move. Well, not even the biggest, flashiest move. You have to be able to do flips. Yeah. Which to me, like, there are so many incredible dancers that can't do acrobatics. And at that point, you're just judging somebody by their ability to do acrobatics and not their ability to do dance. Because I will say, hottest of hot takes, Janie and Jeff's routine is not better than Natalie and her partner's routine. They'll, they can just do flips. That, that's the thing I asked BJ when we got to the climax of this. And I go, okay, we get, we get down to the final five pairs. And I go, BJ, were they the best? And she goes, no. I think the, I think the third team was the best one or whatever. Yeah, the ones from Miami, Florida. That was my team. I was like, no, nah, that's the best my, team. Miami does, does I do also, the, I really like, I like the, um, I don't remember their names, but I call, we call them like the Janelle Monet twins. Yeah. Um, the two black sisters that the are wearing suits. suits. <laughs> and they, like, it looks like a Janelle Monet video. It's incredible. Um, they were also super talented. Um, but the ones from Miami, I was like, no, 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 that's like the dance TV routine. Yeah. But like, you know, Janie and Jeff, their routine's fine. Natalie's yeah. routine's but very good. Then we get to like the final showdown and I go okay but BJ did they have the better routine and you go I don't think they did no they can just do flips (laughs) uh but like okay for different athletic competitions like this sometimes that 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 one move is enough to sell like think figure skating 
Mm-hmm. Think Tanya Harding and how she can bust out a move no one else can do. Mm-hmm. Think about that that one that makes the rounds every once in a while where that one woman will do like a fucking crescent back kick on one leg and they're like, that move's so fucking illegal. That is so dangerous. And she's the only one who got to pull it off. Yeah, that's Surya Benali. Um, she's a black figure skater from France and they mm-hmm. banned that move because she was the only one who could do it and figure skating is a racist institution. Well, that too. But <laughs> yeah, like, they claim safety. No, 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 it's racism. It, wasn't, isn't that a, like, I feel like that's a thing that comes up a lot. Like you see it a lot also in, Ta- in I, Tanya, where it's uh-huh. like, yeah, well, the shit you're doing is illegal because we hate you. Kind of. I you mean, know, it's the thing we see during Stick It where it's like we have very standard ways of how we like to do things. But, like, that is a sport where one big move – same thing with Simone Biles where it's, like, you do one big move and you're so good at it, you can steamroll the competition. Yeah. Like, you're, yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, your whole routine is good. This is a, this is a show. This is a performance of routine. Mm-hmm. But one big move makes everyone go, oh, fuck. Yeah. It's that one big spot that everyone will talk about in a wrestling match. I mean, yeah. And, you know, Simone Biles also gets nerfed on points a lot because they're like, well, no one else can do this. No, so it would be too unfair. And it's like, well, but that's the fucking is it, point. Isn't my understanding, didn't you explain it to me one time that Simone Biles will do these unbelievably difficult hard moves, but her landing will be slightly off? And they'll dock her a shit ton of points because they're like, she's capable of landing that. No one else would be capable of it, so we would just be impressed they pulled it off. But she didn't do it perfectly, so we're going to be harsh on her own metric? Yes. Okay. That's exactly what they do with her, which is horse shit. Okay. But whatever. Yeah. This is this is not me getting very upset about artistic sports judging and the Olympic team. That's not for today. Okay, but like, to, <laughs> but you are correct. Yes, in terms of yes. razzle dazzle, in terms of actual judging, one big move of athleticism sometimes is enough. And also, you got to think this is the '80s. In the same way that the Dirty Dancing lift was big 20 years earlier. Yes. This is now, like, the one big thing you can do in the 80s that nowadays we go, yeah, fucking everyone. I've seen everyone on America's Best Dance crew pull off flips. Like, that's not that new. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. It's the evolution of the medium. It's the evolution of dance, so to speak. Well, (laughs) I wouldn't use those exact set words. That's its own thing. (laughs) That's a very viral YouTube video for all you youngins listening out there. One of the earliest viral YouTube videos. Um, No, so I definitely get, like, you do get that wow factor of, like, oh, they're doing flips. Whoa. Fucking high spots. Yeah, exactly. It's wrestling. It's high spots. Um, So, like, I get it. I get it. I understand it. And obviously it helps to the movie's benefit that Janie and Jeff are the ones that win because mm-hmm. they win honestly. They win they it defeat their the, way. They, yeah, they win it their way. They, they defeat do the things odds. That, they, don't, they don't do the obvious things where they're just like really good at dancing. It's like, no, I'm going to incorporate my skills and my background of gymnastics into our routine. Just like a good bring it on routine. <laughs> I'm just going to bring every other sport into this argument where I go, were they the best? Technically, no. But those flips, they mean a lot. <laughs> but that backflip, though. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, and we also get Janie's dad who, you know, she's supposed to be grounded. She sneaks out and does it anyway. You know, the, the, the Janie and Jeff, like, relationship drama stuff, I don't care like i don't care about that subplot really at all um there is a great scene though because janie goes to a catholic school where jeff shows up and they're talking about how they need to practice and the nun yells at her and is like get away from him he's a boy i'm like no fraternizing with boys i was like ah sister you clearly joined the convent because (laughs) you don't want to be around boys i i see here um and then she's like doing like sick gymnastics moves on like what is the pommel pommel horse horse. (laughs) 
So like that's tight. <laughs> doing like what what is men's gymnastics, but like the visual of a nun doing that on the pommel horse, great. Yeah, super fucking funny. <laughs> um, yes, no, the conflict we end up getting later is that Natalie's very, very, very old dad is like, I own many factories, you know, including a factory your father looks at, works at. And it sure would be a shame if he just lost his job. Yeah. And meanwhile, Natalie's calling Janie's parents being like, hi, I'm sister Natalie and not hiding my voice that I sound like a teenager at all. Anyway, Janie missed choir. The fuck? She's skipping <laughs> school to go practice dance and stuff like that. Right. Um, so they're like really trying to sabotage her. But like this gets into one of those really tired tropes that I'm kind of. Like, I'm a little annoyed at for, like, five minutes, and then they fix it, like, immediately. So I'm like, okay, I'm not that mad. But it's the thing where Jeff is like, I have to drop out of the competition. It's just a stupid dance competition. Who cares about my dreams? My dad could get fired and lose his job, and he's a single dad. He's working hard trying to provide a living for us kids, and I'm not going to let him get ruined and fuck our lives up because I have to dance. And then he talks <laughs> to, like, gets all sassy with, with Janie about it, and then, like, the next scene he sorts it out <laughs> which like it's one of the most tiring like i hate it in movies where it's just like you know you could just say like here's a thing that happened like i'm being blackmailed there's no ramifications to you revealing that to her right like i get from a storytelling aspect but it's just like it's not the most logical human thing you could fucking do <laughs> yeah it's uh you know the curse of many many a teen movies of this entire problem could be solved if by communicating <laughs> like I mean, just te- talk teens don't talk they've got fucking big feelings like i get it I'm right just, right right I'm, I'm glad that it like wasn't this thing that then had like a 15 minute monologue of walking around listening to sad music as they look at scenery around the city or some shit <laughs> like that um they they rectified it and then and, like, in a really hilarious twist that I would love to have been in the movie, I would love it if Dad was just like, yo, just stupid. I'm, I'm not going to get fired for that. that we got a union. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if there was just a union that would have protected his job. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine, like, union strong, like, let the boy dance? Like, let's, let's, I kind of wish that was in this movie, if I I'm going to be honest with that. you. I think it would be awesome. Instead, like, where we see Dad during the competition, he's just, like, at the bar drinking. Right. We're like, that's my boy. Which, like, is nice. But, like, as an alternative, I would have loved to have seen Union Strong let him dance. <laughs> there is a lot of, like, playful, like, fantastical wish fulfillment in this movie that I really like. For example, we have to have Lynn incorporated as, like, the hero moment at the end in some way. So they conveniently have Ricky, who is, like, the pop culture Vanna White host person. I don't know mm-hmm. how, how else to describe her role which on this show. Which is because there's DTV host, which, by the way, the IMDb for this movie is absolute dog shit, and I hate it, where it just doesn't put any of the stars at the top. It's just like, oh, yeah, third billing in this movie, DTV host. <laughs> I'm like, God, it's just so frustrating when they do that. I don't understand the system of why it's structured the way it is sometimes. But she's also on there, and I don't know. We have a host, and then we have a hotter host. Yeah. She, she like, pops in to do, like, here's the cool music you should be listening to or whatever. And that's what Lynn wants to do. She just wants to be carried by a bunch of honks and talk about cool music, which, look. Because she's got taste. I get it. And because Ricky gets mad and quits, like, right before this episode, Lynn then gets to kind of, like, take the spot because she happens to be there. This is live TV. What, we're going to say, like, what's going on? No, we're just going to let it happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I love, I love that she gets to have that moment. I think that's great. Uh, you know, Janie's dad shows up. Up and she's all upset, like, oh, no, my dad's going to be mad at me. And really, he's like, I'm proud of you, kid. Good job breaking rules. Dude, being breaking rules, the fucking security at this building is terrible. The security of this building Anyone is Anyone could just horrible. wander onto set whenever they want. <laughs> like, dad got in with no problems. 
<laughs> like you can make an excuse where it's like, oh, the kids, like they're clearly part of the competition. They let them in, but it's like, who's this old man? Why is this old man? Like, why is this balding man just in the studio now? Like un- unobstructed. Yeah, for real though. in the lift you distracted me during my solo daddy why don't you shut up (laughs) and as this is an older movie we wanted to go to the bible of teen movie hell by mike mcbeardo mcpadden and interestingly enough the girls just want to have fun entry is actually a, a review by Liz Mason, but there's a couple things in here that I wanted to mention because I just really liked the way that she describes this. Girls Just Want to Have Fun delivers a surprising amount of plot. The story hinges on the pivotal moments where the teenagers prove themselves to be independent thinkers. For Sarah Jessica Parker, that happens when she lands a real office job just as her parents demanded, but also a regular on-camera dance TV gig in direct defiance of her parents. Kids, please note, in real life, there isn't just one moment where we can prove that we are capable adults. We have to continually dig ourselves out of the shithole filled with our own fuck-ups. Weirdly, the dancing is not all that interesting. What puts the winners over the top is that they can do backflips, especially in the era that revolutionized breakdancing. Flips don't deserve last word status. Let's have some love for the acrobatic difficulty involved in windmills, jackhammers, air flares, and backspins. Even elementary moves like popping and locking requires intense muscle isolation and endless practice. How come those are never the closing moves? Unless you think I'm going to go snobs versus slobs here, both break-in movies, the big dance battles, also end with flips and round-offs. Often the ladies are doing them, which is cool. My point is that to dance battle properly, you've got to utilize everything you've got, including some sense of personality and character. Or as Ice-T put it, use every move you've learned in life, dance is your weapon, not a knife. Growing up in real life is much harder than in the movies. If you have to save the rec center by dancing, do it with style. Your dance moves require more than prowess or leftover agility from a few years of gymnastics classes. The true victory in a dance battle, and everywhere else, is always in the details. (laughs) Dance is about precision. Mm-hmm. That's why I can't be a dancer. I tend to fly through life like a wacky wall walker tumbling down the wall. Yeah, you have the stylistic grace of a wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because my feet don't move. <laughs> they sure don't. Well, it's because I'm used to going to like punk shows and stuff like that. And first of all, I have like really wide limbs, so I don't. Want, I just try not to interrupt people. So I do a lot of jumping. I, I pogo, I slam dance, I mosh. Mm-hmm. A lot of, lot of, you know, you plant those feet, otherwise you get knocked on your ass. Mm-hmm. So that's where my pedigree comes from. <laughs> Me, I am not a flyer. I am not doing flips. <laughs> I accept this about no, myself. You too tall for that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my cross to bear. <laughs> I could probably learn, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and so again, ultimately the stakes in this movie are not super high. No, I mean, the stakes really boil down to like, yes, do we want to see Janie and Jeff succeed? More so I want Natalie to get it stuck to her. Right. Like it is kind of a little bit of like a a class, class uh, warfare kind of movie that we got a lot in the 80s. Mm -hmm. But like not really what the movie's about. Right. It's just more of like a nice little side thing to the movie. This is this is a pretty lightweight film, but also I really liked it. Like I'm very passionate about this one cuz it's just really fun. Like the movie's funny. 
Yeah, it's fun and it's funny and it's low stakes. And I like that because sometimes girls just want to have fun, damn it. Yeah. I don't know. Like, sure, there's 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 a world where we need like big, extravagant, dramatic things. Like, this is the same year as The Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club is one of like the best movies. Just, it's so fucking good. Mm-hmm. But not everything can be the breakfast club. Some things need to be like filling the Mamma Mia spot. <laughs> right. No, it's just like, true. Yeah. Are there stakes? Fine. Sure. Like very, you know, individual personal stakes. Not a lot of like global sweeping ramifications. But like, I don't know. We're here to have a silly good time. Let's watch some people dance. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's what we're here to do. We want colors and music and dance. And it's a good thing the dancing is entertaining because the music's not very good in this movie. <laughs> no. So despite this being girls just want to have fun, the Cindy Lauper version is not allowed, even though she has like a weird cameo in the mall for like no reason. Yeah, she's like a background character during like the whole punk rock montage. Yeah, but her version of the song is not used here, but because she did not write the song, they can cover the song, which they do. Yeah. And it's not it's not kids bop. I'm not going to say it's that far, but it is very much like a Radio Disney cover. Where it's like G I R. Yeah. It's like, "Oh, it's not it's not great." Um this is, might be a little, yeah, this might be a, like an interesting nugget of information that people don't know. Girls who don't just want to have fun, like the song, originally by a dude, mm-hmm. which not everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. So the cover they get is more stripped down and structurally similar to his version because they couldn't use the changes Cindy Lauper gets for her adaptation, which is why there's two versions of Girls Just Want to Have Fun in this movie. One that's really close to Cindy Lauper's version that plays for maybe 10 seconds and then segues back into the one that's not as good. Mm-hmm. But um, like even outside that, like the actual music in this movie, it's fine. Right. It, it's very sufficient for this movie, but I wouldn't say that I love this soundtrack. Yeah, there's a lot of covers on it, and I think it's to hide the fact that the the version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun they're using is also a cover. Um so I think that was their way of like thematically unifying, which I'm not against. I think that that's a smart choice because if you do have all of the licensed needle drops, then to suddenly jump into a cover, it's like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Um, so I get it. But um, like, even to that extent, so like we've referenced a billion other movies. Um, John Hughes really was very good at making iconic scenes out of needle drops, new and old. Like Ferris Bueller alone has like the twist and shout scene, the Donka Shane scene. And the excessive use of yellow mm-hmm. with Oh Yeah. Um, I think that, like, there's a place for, like, these really iconic needle drops. But this movie's not about the music. It's about the dancing. And the music is sufficient enough to go with the dancing. It is a, it is a team player, not a star. Absolutely. Well, on that note, Harmony. Girls Just Want to Have Fun is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her a ticket so she can go on her own? I don't know. I just think this is like a really fun, chill kind of funny movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really campy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got really kitschy, silly jokes. Like, I I laughed a lot watching this, and it was just nice to have something that was genuinely like good and well-made mm-hmm. but also really scrappy and cheap and fun about it mm-hmm. um i don't know this probably isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea because you know it's maybe not as excellent as other 80s films but like 
It's certainly not as gross as a lot of other 80s films. Yeah. It's so. like very tame. Like this is it's, aged it's argu- shockingly well. It's arguably like playing it really safe, but in the long run, that worked out really well for them. Mm-hmm. Like aside from, you know, Jeff's fan, friend Drew, that's maybe the only part of this that's aged like a little weird. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's held up pretty fucking good, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. no, I like I like this movie. I think other people should they, they should watch this movie. It's definitely uh, it's tight. The people who have been who made it a cult classic, they they were onto something. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Well, that takes us out on Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Thank you as always for listening. And you can follow the show on all of the socials at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on all of the socials at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor or on Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. And humongous thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what band are you recommending this week, inspired by Girls Just Want to Have Fun? So this week, I am shouting out the album The Rise and Fall of a Midwest Princess by Chapel Roan. Um, this is somebody I found pretty early on in her rise. Yeah, she's starting to blow up. Oh, she's blowing up. It was just announced like two days ago at the time of recording this that she's going to be opening for Olivia Rodrigo. Um, mm-hmm. The girls and the gays have fallen in love with her. But like, she's still very much an indie artist and somebody that I was, you know, I, I don't get it right all the time, but somebody I was really proud of finding early on in her in her uh, ascent. And... I needed something, you know, girly, something poppy, something set in the Midwest was nice. And I don't know, just like let let the girlies have fun. Like that's what this this album does. Even like the sad song, like Pink Pony Club is still like a really well-made pop song. Like these are these are perfect. Like every song on this album is like a pop masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason she's blowing up. Mm-hmm. And like I'm not always like congruent with the tastes of the time but i think that we can i think that me and a lot of other people have found perfectly common ground here like this is a this is an excellent place to be <laughs> so uh once again that is the rise and fall of a midwest princess by chapel Roan. if you've already found it then marvelous if not then you should get on that beautiful all righty well we will see you all next week and as always save that last dance for us bye bye We were going to rehearse. We'll rehearse. No fraternizing! Stay away from him! He's a boy! Um, bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.